James Senegal once said, technology helps us become more efficient and productive, but our business still has a lot of art as opposed to strictly science. Are you tinkering, self-learning, self-improving, experimenting with home labbing? And do you want to become a skilled IT expert? Well, you've found your new home. This is the Home Labbers Podcast. On this show, we'll interview top experts and dig deep to learn how they got started and how they train their IT skills as a master martial artist in a Shaolin temple. And you know what? We're going to have fun along the way. This is the Home Labbers Podcast. And now your host, Vian Du. All right, let's do this. Peter, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks. Uh, excited to be here. Before we dive into the home lab topic, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Peter Kieran. I'm based in Calgary, Alberta, in Canada, which is pressed up against the lovely Rocky Mountains. Uh, people might know it uh, by uh, its proximity to Banff, Alberta, a very famous, uh, a picturesque mountain town. Uh, about an hour away from my house. Uh, uh, I currently work for VMware. I've been with them for about six years. I am a staff cloud platform architect with uh, with them, meaning I take care of all of their multi-cloud and uh, VMware Cloud Foundation uh, pre-sales opportunities, uh, particularly across Canada today. So uh, I've been in the IT industry since 1991, and I've been home labbing probably since uh, the late 90s. So lots of experience and lots of fun. How did you get started with home labbing and where did you get the idea? Uh, well, it, uh, it was interesting. I was uh, working as a consultant uh, back in the, in the late 90s and uh, we needed, uh, I needed to get certified. Uh, I needed to get certified to be able to, to uh, work in a certain uh, environment at one of the oil and gas companies. So uh, I ended up uh, buying uh, someone's old lab that they had. It was a 42U rack with uh, IBM Shark fiber channel array with four, four U HP uh, uh, boxes with four processors each with a whopping 32 gigs of RAM each, uh, which was huge at the time. And I think I paid a ridiculously low sum because it was taking up so much power in the guy's house that he just wanted to get rid of it. So I ended up with a, a 42 rack full of gear and lo and behold, every time you turn it on, it cost me about $200 of power. It seemed so I didn't run it uh, constantly, but I did run it for my learning capabilities. So learned a lot about fiber channel configuring all of those sorts of fun things and ended up getting my VCP uh, out of that uh, way back when I was actually uh, the, I think my VCP number was 1305. So it was VC, one of the first, you know, one of the first crews through the VCP uh, journey. So, yeah. So that was my impetuous to get started in home labbing. Uh, and uh, it's kind of grown from there. And I've been on and off uh, trading, trading down in capability probably, but uh, trading way down in power capability. So I've, I've, uh, 
I've been basically trying to keep my home lab under a, a certain amount of wattage power. So that, that's kind of been my main method. What was your first home lab project? Uh, my first home lab project was really uh, to uh, get um, uh, up and running on fiber channel uh, storage so that I could mimic what I was working on uh, at, uh, at a customer site. So I, I zoned off uh, a couple of uh, fiber channel, uh, basically a, a couple of fiber channel ones and connected them up on second data stores and did, uh, did RDM mappings and all kinds of stuff so that I could mimic kind of what it would look like to move SQL Server into a VMware environment just to see what that would look like. That was kind of a unheard of before trying to see if you could run SQL Server on VMware just because uh, everybody was still uh, testing their, you know, dipping their toes in the water, uh, much like they did with uh, cloud recently. So it was it was a lot of, uh, you know, hey, let's see what we can actually run on this thing. And so uh, it was uh, it was entertaining. My 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 first VMware project was um, basically putting GSX to on a server so that we could run multiple uh, multiple um, DMZ um, offerings for our, for my, my uh, oil and gas company that I was working for. And it was just because we didn't have any, <laughs> we didn't have any money to buy five new servers for our DMZ. So we, we decided to virtualize them all. And then uh, that grew into ESX uh, when it was released. And then uh, when our DMZ was running better than our production servers on bare metal, it was time for us to look at VMware totally. And I think the, the home lab gave me the opportunity to prove out a lot of stuff in the background. So. Tell us more about your home lab, what you bought it. Uh, I mean, I, I think I paid about $2,500 for that home lab back in uh, the probably 1999 or, or uh, 2000. And uh, it was uh, basically some old equipment that was uh, in uh, well, one of my friend's house who was uh, – uh, working for one of the larger oil and gas companies. So he had got some old cast offs to do some training on and his wife was tired of, of the noise and, and the, uh, the space in their basement for a 42 U rack. So I took it off his hands and brought it over to my house and put it in my basement and, uh, and <laughs> turned it on very judiciously after I found out how much power it actually sucked back. So it was, uh, that's, I think one of the key things that, uh, I would always look at from a home lab perspective is, you know, how much are you willing to spend on power, especially in, uh, places that, uh, don't have, um, highly regulated power bills because, uh, you know, here in, uh, here in Alberta, we've, we've just deregulated, deregulated our power and, uh, we've had a lot of shocks over power prices over the last, uh, you know, six to eight months. Uh, just with the swings in weather and whatnot, powers become actually more and more expensive. So we're, uh, I I take that as kind of my uh, my biggest uh, uh, design factor for a home lab is how much power draw do these things have. So, but what about noise? How did you solve the noise? Uh, with a forty-two U rack, uh, I put it in my utility room and uh, it was already insulated because that's where the furnace is and all the rest of that. So I put it in there. Uh, to insulate against it, uh, you know, it was my first one. As I've gone further along, I, I've gone through uh, NUX, uh, and uh, I now have super micros sitting, like they're sitting literally right underneath me right now. And, uh, you know, the noise is probably, you know, it's uh, probably just as much noise as, uh, you know, my older 800-watt power supply, you know, a PC that I have sitting next to it. So it, it actually generates less noise than, than anything else. Uh, the super micros are a little bit noisier than my NUCs, but uh, 
they're certainly uh, they're certainly pretty quiet. So, but the, how did you fund your home lab? Um, I paid for it most uh, most of the time. I've had some workplaces throw in a few bucks here and there, but for the most part, I've funded self funded my labs myself. Um, I've been lucky enough uh, to uh, get some good deals here and there because I've been part of the industry, so I've been able to uh, find some find some stuff. My current lab is actually uh, uh, I was lucky and unlucky enough to uh, kind of inherit it from uh, Michael White. So I got some of Michael White's old equipment before he passed away. Uh, I don't know if uh, you know who Michael White was, but he was a, um, a prolific blogger here, and uh, he recently passed away from ALS. So uh, my current lab has some of his gear and some of my gear kind of blended together. So, yeah. Can you tell a little bit more about your current uh, home lab, how it looks like, and what you run there? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got uh, uh, four super micro uh, TN4T uh, uh, super micro boxes, which are kind of little mini towers. And uh, I'm running a four node vSAN on them, which uh, has uh, um, two terabytes of vSAN storage uh, capacity and uh, two disk groups uh, with 500 gig um, drives, uh, NVMe drives uh, being the cache drives and SSD SATA drives being the uh, SATA drives. And uh, they're all connected back into a 10 gig uh, Unify switch. And then I've got some other Unify switches for all the other kind of lab equipment that I've got or, or just, you know, home equipment that I have. So most everything's connected 10 gig. I also have a Synology 1621 Plus, uh, which also provides another data store. That's more for my longer term storage of uh, backups and recoveries, but it's also um, when I'm rebuilding because I'm constantly rebuilding because uh, I might try out one thing or another in the lab uh, as I work for VMware and I cover off uh, VCF. Um, I've installed VCF on here before. Uh, currently, it's, uh, I'm just prepping it to, uh, to start doing some testing with uh, Tanzu Kubernetes Grid or TKG. So I've uh, just recently rebuilt the lab so that I can do some integrated vSphere uh, with um, vSphere with Tanzu integrated uh, design so I can start playing around with the Kubernetes stuff in there. So I've done everything from uh, automation projects, uh, VCF, all, all of those sorts of things. And, and really at the heart of it, I try and run everything on the vSAN platform just so that we can try and keep everything uh, under a, a VMware construct since I, I do work for VMware. So. How much knowledge have you gained while you have having a home lab? Well, uh, I think part of the reason that it's really nice, um, you know, as a technology expert, um, you always want to keep your skills uh, to some extent as sharp as possible. But uh, the other aspect of it is for me is that, uh, you know, as I've been studying for things like a VCAP deploy, um, it's harder to study for that if you don't have something you can tear down and rebuild or, or try or just, you know, I, I don't worry about killing anything in, in my, in my lab because I've either got backups or, you know, if I really want to, I'll just rebuild the whole thing. And, and I learn a lot just rebuilding it uh, time over time. Um, for example, uh, uh, I just have recently moved when I rebuilt this the last time I actually purchased a whole bunch of uh, hard drives to move off uh, SD boot or, or USB boot because I was having USB keys fail left, right, and center after I moved to U2. So, you know, that was something that I've now learned that I can now pass along to my, my customers saying, hey, you know, you might want to get off your, your, 
your SD cards or your whatever's if you're moving to U2 or U3.7.0, um, just so that you can not have failed, you know, failed USB or failed SD cards because the right aspects really ramped up as I found out in my home lab um, on, onto the, some of those things. Even though I had good quality USB drives driving it, I had two out of my four boxes had USB failure from their boot. So that was time for me to, well, to rebuild the lab. I, I rebuilt it with the 500 gig drives. So. What is the most memorable home lab story you'd like to share? <laughs> well, uh, it's funny. So in 2006, my, my house burnt down. And uh, uh, so one of the only recognizable bits left in my house was the 42U rack. <laughs> so uh, as a home labber, I had uh, actually uh, put a rider in my insurance uh, on my home lab. And uh, I ended up getting uh, a significant insurance payout uh, for my home lab. Uh, and they they rebought me a whole bunch of equipment um, <laughs> at, at at new prices because of the way I'd structured my uh, my insurance contract. So uh, I ended up with a much better, quieter, faster lab than I had before. Uh, that drew a whole ton less power after after my house had burnt down. It, it was funny that the the forty two U rack was one of the only recognizable things. I couldn't find my refrigerator, but I could find a forty two U rack. So you know, all the equipment, of course, perished, but. Uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, the the 42U rack really uh, was one of the most memorable parts about that. My wife was going, "What's what's that in the in the rubble of her house?" <laughs> I'm going, and that's the server rack that was in the furnace room. She's going, "Wow, that thing survived." <laughs> going, "Yep, uh, pretty much that's the only thing that that was recognizable out of our uh, out of our house fire." So that uh, that was a that was a memorable home labbing event, even though it was a disaster. It kind of brought some levity to the uh, to the situation. So, but what was the reason your house got fire? Uh, the house next door was under construction, and uh, an arsonist torched it at two in the morning. So we were lucky to actually get out of our house with our life, because uh, the the how the, basically my house was on fire before we even knew it was on fire. We were lucky that uh, a neighbor who sorts mail uh, was driving by on his way to work and uh, and saw smoke coming out of the house next door and banged on our door and got us out. So we were we 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 would we would have probably died had uh, that person not knocked on our door. So, Do you have more scary or funny home love stories besides that one? Um, uh, I've got, we, I think we all have lots of fun home lab stories where, you know, you're playing around and you accidentally delete something and uh, it's catastrophic. I've, uh, I, I'm, I'm no stranger to that game. I think I've probably killed, uh, I've unmounted a data store accidentally and uh, wiped out uh, a 70, 70 user VDI environment I was testing. <laughs> so I deployed a big, huge pool of VDIs and, and was doing a, a big uh, test lab uh, on it. And I was going to just disconnect uh, one of my data stores so that I could mount a, a separate data store on another, on another one of my NASs. <laughs> and I disconnected the store that had all, all of my VDIs, so, um, which you know, caused me to have to rebuild almost the entire lab, which was, you know, it's always fun when you do that. Um, uh, so I think, you know, from a catastrophic or a funny story, you know, you know, those are those are always fun moments when you kind of go, oh, damn, that's right. I, I should probably treat this more like a prod environment and be very careful when I'm <laughs> deleting or changing or or just playing around with things. I've I run my Plex server on it, and I, more than once I've <laughs> I've I've killed my Plex server and had to go to a backup on it. So, <laughs> what do you also think about you when you see your home lab? 
Um, I think, uh, you know, for the VMware folks, they're always like, oh, that's cool. What do you have for, you know, people who walk by my office and are going, what are all those blinky lights underneath your desk? And, you know, I'm like, well, I like keeping warm in the winter. So this is like my, my heating, my heating section because <laughs> it's literally just sitting under my desk. So, uh, you know, I've got basically four servers on the floor with a couple of racks and a whole bunch of networking gear. And everyone's like, wow, that's a lot of cables in there. And, and going, yeah, well, you know, it's just the way it rolls. So, yeah. What is a home lab for you? You know, for me, it's just, uh, it's a place where I can hone my skills, number one. But number two, you know, I actually do run uh, things I actually use day to day on there. I have a home assistant that does some home automation that runs. I have my Plex server uh, running in my home lab. I've got an active directory server so I can, I can have directory services. So that would my, my kids log on or whatever they have their own accounts. Uh, if, if they needed to, most of them are Mac uh, uh, users, but uh, if they needed a windows machine, I set up a, a you know, kind of a, um, you know, a personal Windows machine so that if they have something for school, they're both in university. So if they have something that doesn't work on their Mac and they need a Windows box, they can just RDP in. So there's there's some some good aspects to it from a from a personal, but a lot of it is professional development that I'm trying to really understand. A, um, you know, I, I've run pre-production versions of of you know vSphere seven on in my home lab so that I'm prepared. Uh, I'm a member of our um, VMware's hands-on lab team. So uh, I typically get a hands-on lab assignment uh, every year. I've been a lead captain for four years now. So I'm the guy who actually builds the pods that run the, um, the underlying infrastructure for one or more labs uh, in the environment. So I built, uh, I built the first vSphere 7 lab uh, when we released vSphere 7. So I worked with our product group to build that lab environment. Well, before I built it in the hands-on lab environment, I tried it out in my home lab first so that I could understand what are my gotchas, what do I need to understand before I start building this that's going to be repeated and maybe serve up. Uh, I think the v, what's new in vSphere 7 lab got run about 85,000 times. So it had to be very, very repeatable. So I used my home lab to actually prep a lot of that before I go and I build that in the, uh, in the, home, in the, in the hands-on lab environment because I'm trying to make uh, that environment super, super lean, number one, it's because we have, to, we have to fit in some very tight guidelines. But the other aspect of it is I want to make it uh, super repeatable so that uh, you know, I take out anything that could cause any repeatable mistakes or anything that might have a, uh, uh, an if, and, or their statement in there. I want to take those out of my hands on lab so that you get the same experience every time you launch that lab and nothing fails. So. So I've used my home lab extensively to, to basically practice building out what I'm going to build out before I build it for the hands-on labs. But can you tell a little bit more about hands-on VMware lab? And uh, if you're allowed, can you go a little bit in technically details as well and how the process looks like? Because I think this is very interesting. Sure. Yeah, I actually, I actually do. I've actually given a couple of uh, VMUG uh, talks uh, on on the whole process, and it's a little bit of uh, there, there's some dog food underneath that we actually eat our own dog food. So the hands-on lab environment runs across five different clouds. So we have several private uh, clouds that we run it on internally at VMware, but we also run it on uh, uh, we've run it on CenturyLink's clouds, we've run it on IBM clouds, we've run it on. Uh, 
AWS. We run it on Azure. So we've, we've actually had the capabilities run in public clouds across the world. Uh, and we typically scale up during VMworld's events because those are our big heavy use uh, times. Uh, so, you know, you may use one or more of those kind of in the, you know, in the non VM world uh, times, but as soon as we hit VM world, it's all hands on decks and, and we go to multiple clouds and typically the, uh, we're, we're just about to kick off our latest, um, latest hands on lab year. So what we'll do is we'll review what happened last year and, uh, work with our business units to find out, okay, what's coming down the pipe. What do you guys as a business unit want us to showcase? And then we'll build out a storyboard for what we think the lab should include. And essentially what we'll do is we'll work with our, our business units to storyboard out, hey, here's what the lab should include. Here's what we should uh, give our customers a taste of. And, and then we'll work on what the flow of the lab should be. You know, uh, so last year, the last two years, I built the Vistra at Tanzu lab. So I've been working with our, our, our Kubernetes groups, our Tanzu groups, uh, the vSphere groups, all to showcase exactly what they want to showcase uh, for vSphere at Tanzu. And sometimes halfway through the development process, the business unit goes, hey, we've got a new feature coming in the next release. Can you uh, re redo your lab to include the next release? And uh, we've had to totally rebuild the lab, you know, um, I think the closest to VMworld I've ever done it is about a month. So usually we want to at least have three months to go through our build, testing, validation, scale testing, all those sorts of things. And at the VMware Hands-On Labs, we use actually VMware Cloud Director. So we use VCD to actually deploy all these things. So typically what happens is we get a template and our Hands-On Lab team develops a template. Sometimes you use the, their template. Sometimes you have to go off script a bit and develop your own, depending on if they, uh, for example, when I did the vSphere 7, we didn't have a vSphere 7 template. So I helped, uh, I helped the core team develop what that template was going to look like so that we could get out the v, what's new in vSphere 7 uh, before, uh, almost before it was released, right? So <laughs> uh, a lot of the time we're working with, you know, either GA code or pre-GA code, and then when the when the when the you know when the golden master comes out for vSphere seven, then you had to rebuild the lab with the golden master. So it's usually a a, a fairly uh, lengthy process. We usually have teams of three or four people working on labs, uh, so that uh, you know one guy builds the, the the core infrastructure, and then the other people build out what the lab uh, manual looks like and all the tasks. And, uh, and we kind of go through uh, iterations of pods. So typically I've seen anywhere between five to 18 iterations of a, a pod as you go through your testing and have to fix stuff or have to rebuild stuff or have to reduce stuff. So it's an iterative process for us to get to the point where we can deploy thousands and thousands of labs for our, our, our users. But uh, our goal really is to get the best possible learning for, the, for, for our customers. And all of these are VMware volunteers. So we put anywhere between, you know, 40 to 150 hours of, of time per year, not including VMware uh, or VMworld time that we, we actually are on the floor helping people and delivering expert-led workshops and whatnot wrapped around these labs. So it's been a really fun, rewarding experience. And I think having a home lab uh, enables me better to do that job uh, just so that I can play around and test without uh, affecting uh, affecting my 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 pod which is you know i i, I don't when i'm building those pods i, I want to put 
uh, as little change into them as possible, as you can imagine. You want to you want to keep that as tight as possible. How many weeks it takes to take uh, this uh, storyboard and, like, for example, one lab to build? Like, how many weeks are like all this process? So, so from from storyboard to getting it published and and having end users actually use it is usually around three months. So you know, there's there's usually critical milestone events. So usually we start building the labs in April, and we'll release them in either late June or, or we'll hold off and we'll have test events through uh, July, building up to VMworld. So uh, we've kind of moved away from a VMworld centric model um, to more of a uh, I would say CI/CD uh, style pipeline where we'll release a lab when it's ready. Uh, and once it's been tested, so if, if you're ready before VMworld, we'll probably soft launch it and just put it into the into the lab catalog, and we won't announce it. And then once VMworld hits, then we'll announce them all. So uh, we're we're moving to more kind of a year-round model where before we would uh, basically launch all the labs at VMworld. Uh, now you'll see updated labs will happen throughout the year. But uh, I would say 90% of the labs will get released at VMworld. So. Basically, you go from an April April through July kind of a window to build and release labs. If you have used like uh, finished building one lab, can you reuse the old uh, lab parts to new lab, or you have to do it everything from scratch? Every single year, we we typically do them from scratch, but uh, we do document the builds every year. And typically, the reasoning is that we don't want to uh, have any. Um, uh, upgrade stuff left over. So anytime you upgrade an environment, logs get left over. Um, you know, you might have um, different stuff left in the pod. And since we want to keep these pods as tight as possible, we typically rebuild them from scratch every year. There are a couple of exceptions to that, but uh, for the most part, uh, we'll reuse instructions. We'll reuse the the, the bits that maybe you know. Um, for example, we use uh, Postman all the time. Uh, we might reuse that piece of software, but we're not going to rebuild. We're not going to take, uh, you know, I worked on 2113 and 2213. I, I rebuilt those from scratch each time. I didn't take the 2113 lab and rebuild it for 2213 and just upgrade it through the process to get the latest bits. No, we'll we'll rebuild from scratch. So, And, and the reason being is you just don't want to have any uh, leftover bits from any upgrades. And, um, because we run very lean ESXi hosts, upgrading and upgrading the vCenter particularly can be a challenge just because we don't have enough scratch space or, or enough uh, space in those uh, VMs themselves to, to even go through the upgrade process. So, Sarah, different carbon black and forensic labs. Can you tell about a little bit more about this? Uh, I've, I haven't been involved in the carbon black, but yeah, there are. We, we do set up a, a whole bunch of uh, different labs for carbon black for uh, you know for our cloud services, and some of those are slightly different because they're more interactive. So, um, all of our labs, by the way, are are a hundred percent interactive. It, the the great thing about them is they you, you can play around with them and, and go off script. You can do whatever you want. They're a beast for environment. So um, with carbon black, particularly, we probably have a little bit more. Um, uh, they had their own uh, style of labs when we acquired them. Uh, 
for allowing people to kind of play in a, a security sandbox. So we've kind of followed along with their lab directions, but we're bringing them more into our um, kind of our fold and how we, we do labs as well. So the, the, anytime you have acquisitions like that, it's always a little bit of a challenge, but uh, those labs are excellent as well. So especially the ones where you get to play around. If I want to build a malware or forensic lab, and how to build a safe sandbox? A lot of the time, you, you really want to have a very secure private network that you would instantiate wrapped around some of that so that you can't let anything escape. So you, you'd have a jump box that could only communicate in there, and that way uh, you could basically secure your network wrapped around that. So if you are playing with things like malware, you, you'll want to definitely have a segmented network that doesn't basically talk to anything else. Um, and then you just have a jump box that can hop into that environment. Where did you get the idea to buy a home lab? Well, I think the the idea for me to start buying a home lab was, uh, you know, a guy I was working with, uh, he had the lab and, and he had used it for a lot of his studying to basically get his VCP and, and do a lot of that. Because, um, you know, back 20 years ago, uh, VMware was a brand new technology. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of uh, capability for, uh, you know, a corporate. And then I was an independent consultant. I didn't have I didn't have access to a corporate lab or anything to play around with these sorts of things. So for me, it was, uh, you know, I wanted to build out my own personal business and my own personal brand. And uh, VMware was looking exceptionally uh, like it was going to take off. And I wanted to be on the forefront of that. So seeing as he... He wanted to divest his lab, and I wanted to really dive deep into it. It was a good opportunity for me to to get my learning going and uh, and really uh, accelerate my business and and my own personal brand. So I think that was really what 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 got me into it was I, I always had computers hanging around the house, and I you know had never really loosely aggregated them into anything uh, as a structured as a lab uh, and. As soon as I kind of got more work in more corporate environments, I uh, I saw how they structured labs uh, for their own personal or for their own corporate usages so that they could test out solutions. I wanted to structure something like that. And when the opportunity to buy that gentleman's lab came up, that, that was just a natural thing for me to to to, to basically procure it and, and then start using it. So uh, and I've been uh, I've had a lab in my house pretty much ever since. So. Uh, it's been something that has been, uh, I was part of, you know, how I want to continue my learning. Uh, and even, you know, as we look at, you know, incorporating cloud into this, you know, I, I've done vRealize automation and, and incorporated free tiers of AWS and Azure into that so that I could test out those sorts of things. Well, even testing out, Azure or AWS by themselves doesn't give you a good feeling of how an actual corporation works uh, because they're going to have an on-premise uh, on-premises footprint. So you want to make sure that you can understand what those challenges are. Oh, well, VPNing into those things is a pain in the rear. Now I can see why you want an express route or a direct connect. Uh, you know, all those things you can now start understanding what those, uh, as you're trying to either sell to or talk the language of those customers, you can understand their problems in a, in a much more um, codified way in, in, in the way that you, you can you can feel their pain wrapped around some of the pain points that they might be having because you experienced them yourself saying, oh, it's a pain in the rear to set up a, a VPN in here. I would really love to have an express route. And if I have an express route, what is that going to allow me to do that I can't do with a VPN? 
or X or Y or Z. So now you can really explain to them as they go along a cloud journey or a multi-cloud journey. Here's some of the things I've experienced, even in my home lab, that you you, you can take learnings from. So I think that's uh, one of the things that I've always liked is uh, if if a customer even has a problem, I can try and mimic it in my environment as well. So <clears throat> if my customer comes to me and say, hey, I'm having this really weird issue in vSphere 6.7, I can rebuild my lab and have vSphere 6.7 on this thing in probably a few hours. So I could, I could then provide uh, some troubleshooting to those customers. I don't need to do that in my current role as much anymore, but you know, back when, uh, back when I was an independent consultant, that was a part of my value add. What one piece of advice would you give for beginner home labbers? Um, uh, find out um, how much you can spend, but also find out how much you can afford to spend on power. Because that, uh, you know, that 2U Dell 620 that you can buy off eBay for a couple hundred bucks, Uh, you might not realize it has a 1200 watt power supply times two and uh, your, your power bills are just going to go, right? So uh, you, you might not need 384 gigs of RAM and, and two CPUs with 24 cores each to do what you want to accomplish. So try and figure out what it is that you want to accomplish and then see what your minimum viable product would be and try and fit it into a power envelope. Uh, I was running... Uh, a three NUC lab just so that I could run vSAN. I was interested in becoming a vSAN expert. So I wanted to run vSAN and play around with it as much as possible, but I didn't run, I didn't want to burn a lot of power and I did, definitely didn't want to have the noise of a, of two year servers running in my office or in my basement or, or wherever. So the NUCs were a perfect opportunity for me and they, they provided a really low cost entry point as well. So I had some, Core i5, four core NUX uh, with uh, an SSD and an NVMe M M2 drive uh, running vSAN on there with 32 gigs of RAM, and it worked. Were, were there limitations? Absolutely, right? <laughs> I was never running VCF on that, number one. Uh, I wasn't, uh, you really couldn't run a whole ton of workloads on it. So it was fairly limited in, in terms of a, a lab instance, but it did allow you to do what you needed, what I needed to do at that point in time. Now in my current lab, I have 128 gigs in each one of those boxes. I can now do a lot more. And, uh, but the cost of it is, you know, my power, each one of these boxes is 250 watts. A NUC is 45 watts. So it is soaking up a lot more power in my lab than, than, uh, than my old NUC lab did. So I would say from a beginner perspective, you know, find out what your budget is. Uh, but find out what your you know your, your your ongoing cost budget will be as well because that can definitely factor in why you might want to spend you know six hundred dollars on something with lower power versus two hundred dollars on eBay for something that's going to cost you two hundred to three hundred dollars a month to operate, especially if you want to have this thing run all day every day. Is it possible to build similar labs like Vem or a whole lab at home? Um, anyone can build a home lab. I mean, the, the key thing is, um, and when I was a consultant, I obviously didn't work for VMware. So a, a key thing for me from a home lab perspective to get licenses was to become a VMUG member. So I was a VMUG member and that allowed me to gain access to, to licenses to run what I needed to run uh, from a VMware perspective. And obviously, uh, being a V expert, we we do get access to some licenses as well. So that's that's very helpful. I actually use my V expert licenses to run my lab, 
so I'm not I'm I'm not using any uh, VMware licenses or any internal resources from my lab right now. Peter, thank you so much for joining and have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks very much. It's been a fun chat. You've been listening to the Home Labbers podcast. Our passion is to interview the leading IT experts and get tech enthusiasts all the information they need to become an expert. So if you run at home enterprise hardware and software and you like tinkering and self-learning, then you've found your new podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit up the website at viondu.tech. On Twitter at hashtag viondutrending and hashtag home lab. See you next time on the Home Labbers Podcast.